We are reading today from Mark chapter 2, starting at verse 18. Now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. Some people came and asked Jesus, How is it that John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees are fasting, but you are not? Jesus answered, How can the guests of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? They cannot, so long as they have him with them. But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, and on that day they will fast. No one sews a patch of untrunken cloth on an old garment, otherwise the new piece will pull away from the old, making the tear worse. And no one pours new wine into the old wineskins, otherwise the wine will burst the skins, and both the wine and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins. So far our reading. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time together. We've remembered the wonderful future that we do have because of the Lamb who was slain. And the privilege that we have uh, to be uh, your chosen holy bride. People that have been redeemed, made new, And the necessity of that, for without that we have no part, no place. So Lord, we are truly one of grateful. Uh, we, are, we cannot really express enough that uh, you have done this. And uh, we thank you that you have given us your word and your Holy Spirit. And we ask that it might please you, Lord, to um, truly meet with us this day as we look together at this passage in Mark's Gospel, chapter 2, this morning. In Jesus' name, Amen. I wonder whether you would have uh, open in front of you the handout. Uh, It's a lovely front front cover there. And um, inside you'll see that the passage that uh, Yolanda read and uh, those uh, few points that we're going to be looking at today. We've all been together, I trust, at a wedding. Uh, You've been there at uh, the wedding there. And again, just before I continue, I'm just being bedazzled by the the car and the light out there. It's incredible how number of times that happens. Um, Sorry about that. It might end. Um, Yeah, so we've all been at the wedding and um, uh, reached the point in the service where the, uh, the minister says he's being bedazzled by the light. No. <laughs> where we've reached that point in the service where the minister will say, if there is anybody here this morning who has any reason why this man or this woman cannot be uh, lawfully married or joined together in holy matrimony, or however you want to put it, uh, speak now or forever uh, remain in silence. And yes, there is a sort of a slight pause at that moment and sometimes we sort of look around and Now's the top, but you know, there's nothing really happens, is there? The service continues. That's really been my experience anyway. There's nobody has ever really spoken up. And that's because there has been a bit of a, quite a checking process that's gone on for several months that have led up to the moment where the, 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 the bride and the groom-to-be and so forth, they're there um, because of the, 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 their identity has been made known. They've, they've identified who they really are and uh, what their, their, uh, their history is. Uh, 
is or has been. So when, uh, when the Lord Jesus answers a question in the passage we saw, just read a few moments ago, about fasting, he's, he's using a metaphor about uh, a bridegroom. And he speaks in that way to refer to his identity and uh, to understand what time uh, it is for the nation's history and what he came to do. The problem the people with, face with Jesus is understanding this and and, the, and their suitability to receive him. Unless Jesus makes people new, this wedding, this marriage, cannot go ahead. Last time you recall, uh, Jesus is at a celebratory feast. Uh, he was at Levi's home, and Levi and many others there uh, following him, the Pharisees can't stomach what Jesus is doing, eating with tax collectors and sinners. And just before that episode in Mark's Gospel, the Pharisees accused Jesus of blasphemy uh, when he made that outrageous claim. Do you remember that he can forgive sins of the paralysed man? And so this morning, we're back in Mark chapter 2 and verse 18. This is the third of five conflicts, conflict episodes in chapters 2 and 3, and some people come to Jesus questioning him about his disciples. And why is it that the disciples of Jesus don't fast like the disciples of John the Baptist and the disciples of the Pharisees? You sort of hear about fasting in our modern ears and you sort of think it's a bit of a foreign concept. I did a poll this morning, I'm not sure how many would have been fasting last week. How many cooking shows do we have out there? How many restaurants are there in our tourist magazines that sort of put out the, uh, you know, what's on offer at their place, at their restaurant? Perhaps the only fast that we are really familiar with in our culture, in our society, is fast food. But um, in Jesus' day, it was held that fasting would hasten the kingdom of God and the promised Messiah. It was part of the... uh, Jewish religious system that people were following. So by fasting, people were preparing themselves for his arrival. And so on the other hand, by not fasting, you were not uh, getting ready, you were delaying that day. You're not expectant, you're not ready. Uh, You may know that in the um, God's law, the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, there was only one day that was prescribed and that was on the Day of Atonement, that, that, was, that you'd, you'd fast on that day, one day in the year. Fasting was uh, an act of repentance to prepare you for the cleansing from sin for that. But then you go forward into a book like Zechariah, a number of centuries on, and go to a passage like Zechariah chapter 9, Uh, There are several fasts there that are taking place. And so we know as we go into the New Testament that the Pharisees fasted, how many times do people know? Yeah. Oh, are there any minties in here? Yeah. Well done, Michael. Twice a week. Not bad, hey. And look, uh, in my reading this week, I was uh, looking at that they apparently was on a Monday and a Thursday. I don't know how they work that out, but there's probably a a requirement there. Twice a week. And so 
they took the whole business of fasting sort of way beyond uh, the Old Testament requirement. Do you understand that? Does that make sense? Yeah. So this was a badge of honour, a badge of uh, piety, uh, being, uh, doing the right thing, you know. Uh, and John the Baptist uh, prepared the people to receive the Messiah. We, we, we know that that's what he was doing in Mark chapter 1. So it seems as part of that preparation uh, was that his followers, John the Baptist's followers, would regularly fast. And so in Mark 2, we, we read this delegation, it seems, comes to Jesus with some criticism. And uh, have you got the passage there? We've got it on the screen, I think. Yes, there it is. Um, how is it that John the Baptist, oh, sorry, John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees are fasting, uh, but yours, that is yours, Jesus, your disciples, Jesus, are not? So pointing the finger at Jesus, really, at his failure to, you know, get his disciples in line at this point, um, when the other disciples were. And um, Jesus uses this metaphor. He answers the question with a question, a metaphor of a, of a bridegroom. And uh, when the bridegroom is present and uh, when the bridegroom is taken away and then the bridegroom's ministry is radically different. Uh, you may be familiar with that, these, those words uh, in Ecclesiastes, there's a time for everything. Uh, time for this and that well there's a time for mourning and there's a time for dancing and so when the bridegroom is present it isn't the time to mourn it isn't the time to fast is what Jesus is saying it's not to be sorrowful uh, if the bridegroom is here with the guests it's time to to celebrate it's that's fairly straightforward we understand that these days uh, those the days rather of um most wedding ceremonies, which we have, of course, day by week to week, uh, usually the ceremony would go, as you probably know, for about an hour, something like that. And then you might have a, a reception, and sometimes they can be big events, but maybe four hours, five hours, I know, might be some bigger ones than that, but on average, something like that. Well, in Jesus' day, the typical one lasted a week. So strap yourselves in, you know, that kind of thing. It's a big event. And um, invited guests would, of course, eat and drink. Everyone knew that. It's just unthinkable to fast. And so the bridegroom is found there in the Old Testament, uh, so it's not just sort of popped up there and, you know, no. The bridegroom picture is there in the Old Testament where God is described as the bridegroom. And the people of God are described as the bride. And we read that, didn't we, in Revelation 19 this morning about the bride and the bridegroom at the end there, at the wedding feast of the Lamb. Well, Isaiah 62.5 says, As a bridegroom rejoices over his bride, so will your God rejoice over you, his bride. And so in the New Testament, where we're at this morning, the Son of God is described as the bridegroom and his church as his bride. Jesus, the bridegroom has come for his bride. That's the time. And so how can the guests of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? They can't, as long as they have him with them. But it isn't always going to be like that. And so Jesus here speaks of another time when the bridegroom 
is taken away. And this is really referring to Jesus' arrest, his being, if you like, snatched away from his disciples, his followers, leading to death on the cross. Isaiah 63, sorry, Isaiah 53, I should say, Isaiah 53, uh, in that passage about the uh, suffering servant, uh, it has the words taken away in verse 8. We read, by oppression and judgment, he, the suffering servant, was taken away, cut off from the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people. And so Jesus here is describing being taken away from the, like in Isaiah there. When Jesus is taken away, he will no longer be with them. And he says, then they will fast. It's interesting, isn't it, that Jesus isn't um, rejecting the, the practice of fasting. And uh, as you go into the uh, early church, they fasted at special times when there was a a big decision to be made in the fellowship of the church. Um, the, the time that was used to prepare and eat and clean up the meals could be given to prayer. Uh, they went without food so they could focus on something more important than food. I know that might sound a bit difficult to fathom for some young people with us this morning, but... Uh, by fasting, the church, as it prayed, was focused. And it might be that as we face decisions or reach crossroads uh, in our journey as a congregation or even personally, something you're facing, we, we may think it's worthwhile to fast and dedicate ourselves to a time of prayer about those things. What Jesus is describing in Mark 2 is their heartbreak when their bridegroom is gone. They will fast. They won't feel like eating. They won't want to eat. They won't be thinking it's lunchtime. Such is the extent of their grief. And Jesus gives two parables to explain why this will happen, why all this will happen. So the bridegroom's ministry is radically different. And um, just, uh, I don't know what you thought as uh, Yolanda was reading these two parables, but they sort of seem a bit random, don't they? Uh, what is Jesus really getting at here? Um, he uses these sort of common practices that everybody knew about. That's, Jesus always did that with the parables. He says there in verse 21, no one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, otherwise the new piece will pull away from the old, making the tear worse. I don't know whether you've got a favourite pair of pants, guys, or a, um, or, or a dress, or ladies, or um, skirt. You've had it for years, and anyway, you're out for a walk. Come on, let's go for a walk, you know, so off you go, and um, you're climbing over the hills, and farms and so forth, and you come across a fence with barbed wire on it, you go over the fence and behold, the favourite pair of pants, you know, everyone's shaking their head thinking, oh no, don't do that, um, gets, a, gets ripped. Oh dear. Uh, and so you, um, 
rather than throwing out, I'm not going to throw those pants out, they're my, they're my favourites, um, you patch it. But you see, the patch needs to be shrunk before it covers the tear on the old garment. And if it isn't shrunk, then after the first wash, the unshrunk patch is going to shrink, causing it to pull where it is stitched on the old garment, covering the tear. And it's going to go worse. That's what Jesus is getting at here. In that, uh, at that time, the tearing of that new unshrunk patch is going to make the tear in the old garment worse. Then, uh, the straight, then straight away he goes on to another uh, sort of parable there about wine and wineskin. Verse 22, no one pours new wine into old wineskins. If you do, the wine will burst the skins and both the wine and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins. Those um, wineskins were made of goat skinned leather and so uh, as, uh, as new they could stretch. The wine was poured in and it fermented in that wineskin, causing the wineskin to stretch. And the wineskins expanded as the gases were produced inside. The new wine needed to be put into new wineskin to cope with that expansion. And the old wineskins, you see, are brittle. And you put new wine into them, they'll burst under the pressure of that fermentation process. Those old wineskins have already been stretched to the max. Now Jesus has just spoken about what is suitable to do in the present when the bridegroom is with them and what is suitable to do in the future when he is taken away. It's about what is suitable to do at the time. With the patch of cloth and the wineskin, Jesus is speaking about what? Old and new. About what is compatible and what isn't. What is Jesus saying here? that you can't add or contain his ministry within the religious system of the day. You can't simply add Jesus onto your religious traditions or practices. Just as you pour, can't pour new wine into old wineskins without devastating consequences. So the ministry of Jesus brings is of the kingdom of God. And it just can't be poured into the existing religious systems of the day. 
He's not come to call the nation to more religious practices. He's not come to bring a renewal movement of the religious system of the day to fix up some of the problems. He's come to keep the law of God. He's come to fulfill it by bringing the kingdom of God. And the way he's going to achieve this is by being taken away. to bear the sins of the nation and bring people into his kingdom who turn to him and trust in him to do it. One of the pictures we are given in the New Testament about the kingdom of God is a wedding feast and the guests of the bridegroom and uh, they're all there enjoying the presence with with their bridegroom forever, enjoying the celebration made possible by the bridegroom who gave up his life for the bride. And in the Lord's Supper, we, we do look forward to that time when we will be with our bridegroom and celebrate our life with him, clothed in his righteousness. His promise is to be with his gathered people, by his spirit, through his word. He walks among the lampstands of the church. He addresses us. We hear his voice. We persevere in our faith. We look forward to when we be gathered as his bride to our bridegroom face to face. How could we fast on that day? But also, we need to affirm that Jesus hasn't come to patch up your life. You are not a Christian because Jesus mends the problems of your life. The ministry of Jesus is a message of transformation. You see, he's the pearl of great price. He's the treasure hidden in the field. Such great value. And his message is stop trying to fit him in to your life. To add him on 
when your life hasn't been transformed or made new by him. It can't be tapped onto your life like a new patch of cloth on an old wineskin. It doesn't work. Has he made you new? Transformed you? No one receives Christ unless he makes them new. We don't invite Jesus into our lives. Like, you know, you might invite someone over to your place for dinner. We ask him by his grace and in his mercy to make us new. What time is it for you? Have you received the new wine of Christ's message and found that that new wine, that message is actually filling your life and shaping your life and transforming your life? Has his message, his life, taken over yours? And for many it has. That our lives are in Christ. And that's where they need to be. In Christ. In his life. That life that was taken away in death for our sins. The life that came back in his resurrection. Then the life that was taken away in his ascension. And the life he gives by his Holy Spirit to his people. And the life coming, coming back again in glory. And God has promised to use the means of grace in our lives, the scriptures, the hearing of it preached, prayer, the fellowship of believers, the two sacraments. We had one this morning. Could these means of grace feature more prominently in your life? He uses them to transform the life as you follow him. I remember some years ago at a previous church, a, a builder came out and told me God would definitely be pleased with him. You see, there'd been a, a massive storm in the area. I was, we were living in the Blacktown area of Sydney and there were just almost hundreds of roofs that were damaged by this incredible storm that went through. And Anyway, he, he came to the church and he fixed the roof at the church and he said to me, well, at least God will be pleased with me. I fixed a roof on his house. I think he was half joking, I'm not sure. But, but you see, if he, if he didn't recognise who Jesus is and why God sent him into the world and the message of the kingdom, 
if, if, if his life had not been made new, that's all you've got. You've got your system. Call it your pattern of life, your, your direction, you know, what you're into, your focus. Some, some, some notion about God, perhaps, there, that, that sort of tacks Jesus onto it and, it and includes him in it. Or maybe it's clinging to certain traditions <laughs> that have nothing at all whatsoever to, to do with a new life Jesus brings. I think I've lost count the number of times over the years where people have sort of said things to me like, it, it, it has to be the pews in church, or it isn't church. It has to be the organ music and hymns only. Although only, we only sing psalms in church. Or it has to be red carpet in the sanctuary. It has to be wine at communion. And so on and so on. Traditions. Like the Pharisees with their fasting tradition in their religious system. When now, God's king has come for sinners, forgiving them and eating with them and making sinners new through his death and rising again to new life. So we have the joy of feasting with Jesus in heaven. If you try to be a Christian and keep your old ways with Jesus as an add-on, or think you're a Christian when you're not, it won't work. And to use Jesus' parables of the cloth and wine skins you'll tear and you'll burst you'll not contain the precious wine that Jesus brings in himself he came to make people new to receive him into those into into those new lives to live in him to live for him in the kingdom he brings for many of us in our day, it's not about the religious practices they are relying on. It's more the sense of what they think is good and right and proper for them. Everyone's got some way of thinking like that. 
And our Lord Jesus just won't be patched onto that lifestyle. He won't enter that. But he will transform those lives when people repent and believe his gospel. And sinners can be in the celebration and know the fullness of his life when they are made new by the kindness of God. And that's what Jesus made possible. Let's pray, everyone. Our loving, our God and Father, we recognise that we can only be your people through the merits of Jesus and we pray that you would indeed assure us again of your goodness to us and the gospel that makes people new. And uh, we need to know this, Father, so that we are not in any way um, thinking that we could make ourselves right in your sight by our lives and just to sort of add Jesus on. Our Father and our God, we pray that you would please um, have mercy upon us and open our hearts and our lives and fill our hearts and our lives with Jesus and transform us all as we continue to grow in him, as we continue as a church to be the people of the gospel, of the kingdom of God in this, uh, in this community. Help us, Father, and let us rely upon your grace and mercy for this. To look to Jesus, to see ourselves as for the one for whom Jesus died, to come to the cross and to see that we are in need of him. And thank you, Father, for the promise that you will be with us and that we will indeed, by your mercies alone, be in your forever presence and to enjoy all that is in store with him. In Jesus' name, amen.